Thank you for tuning in to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode with Gabby Ruffles. G'day, podcasters. This is Jamie with something new to share. Is your mental game holding you back from playing your best golf consistently? You may have seen that recently I launched the Inside Golf Academy. Well, Inside Golf Academy has been created for golfers like you to access golf mental performance coaching from the comfort and convenience of your own phone or laptop. We will be releasing new courses on a regular basis. Right now, we have the free Mental Game Must Do course and the first course in my Routines to Riches program called Build Your Powerful Pre-Round Routine, available to podcast listeners at a limited 50% off the full price offer. The link to the Inside Golf Academy is in the show notes, as well as our social media links. So if you want to learn the techniques that the best golfers in the world already know, jump across to the Inside Golf Academy and let us help you transform your game. Thanks for listening to the episode and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. The show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. My name's Roscoe, your co-host, sitting alongside Jamie Glazier and also with a very special guest here today, which uh, if you do flick over and watch some of the Zoom that we put out, you'll meet Gabby Ruffles. Gabby Ruffles, welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. How are you? Thank you. Thanks guys for having me. I'm good. Excellent. Well, thanks for, um, thanks for putting yourself on mute during that uh, intro, Gab, so uh, you didn't completely lose your mind and laugh at that. I appreciate that, so... Yeah, I was, I was laughing a bit, but it's a great intro. Really, it is. Uh, It's often commented on that intro, like, uh, you know, that people wonder whether it was Jamie putting an accent on or who was the guy. Is it someone special? Anyway, so it was, uh, we'll never know. We'll never know. We might, we might have, we'll we'll update it. Maybe we'll update it one day. Gabby, (laughs) thanks for joining us. And and there's a whole load of stuff that, uh, we'd love to talk to you about. And it's a real, uh, pleasure for me to sit and have the opportunity to sit here and talk to you because you know you're one of the stars of Australian golf up and coming stars of Australian golf and you know uh, congratulate you on you know all of your achievements so far and but we have met before Gabby we have met before and we were sort of just chatting about that and you know I think a lot's happened in your journey since that time that we met at a drum and golf store back in 2014 with yourself and Ray uh, your, your, your great great man great dad buying some golf balls I think for your mum. 2014. Yeah, that's crazy. We were kind of just talking about this before, but um, I wish I remembered it. I don't. (laughs) I'm very very forgettable. Don't worry. I love it how you were were nodding your head, Gab, when when, when Roscoe was saying that. As you say, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But uh, no, you came clean there and uh, yeah, you don't remember. No, I, I don't remember. But as you said, it was before my like golf journey. So I don't think I had any idea what I was doing in that drum and golf store. <laughs> well, I guess since before we get to talking about some of your recent achievements and your golf and, and what life is like for you now and, and how you, know, you apply uh, the work that you do with Jamie and, and you're part of um, you know, one of Jamie's clients. So before we get to that, you know, let's go back to that time because my recollection you know, was a, a young 
14, I think maybe I'm going to guess it, sort of 14-year-old uh, girl standing in front of me with, with Ray. We had a chat about, obviously, Ryan, your brother, and uh, with, uh, well, I had a chat with your dad. And then I asked yourself, I said, so what about you? Do you, um, do you play golf? And you sort of gave me, a, you looked up and you gave me that rolled eyes and sort of was like, no. Nah. And I knew enough about that then to sort of, you know, stay away from it. But I didn't really realise, I didn't know your tennis background then. But what was happening around that time? It was around May 2014. What, what did life look like for you then? Yeah, so actually kind of interesting that you kind of pinpointed May 2014. Um, it was kind of throughout that year where I started losing interest um, of playing tennis. So it was that year that I started in January, started homeschooling uh, for tennis. And, you know, as I've spoken to many people about this, especially Jamie, um, it just kind of got, I just got burnt out from the sport. Um, I started spending all my days at Melbourne park. Um, I would, you know, practice for two hours in the morning, go to gym for an hour, hour and a half, and still be in that same tennis center and do school for about four hours and then get back out on the tennis court. And it'd be a day from like 8 a.m. until, you know, 6 p.m. and that I would go home and I'd just be in Melbourne Park. And, you know, everything was just revolved around tennis. You'd see the same people every day, tennis players, coaches, um, and they were all great. Um, don't want to say anything bad about that, but it just kind of got to me, especially a 14 year old girl, you know, I just, you know, wanted to have friends and have a normal life and everything, but everything was very serious. And ultimately, um, in October, um, I just had enough. I, I remember it clearly. I was playing a match against uh, a girl and, um, I lost the match and I just, I, I had had enough. And so they told me to, you know, take two weeks off and see if I wanted to come back, but, um, I didn't. And that was in October of 2014. So, um, and then, yeah. And then I started playing golf. Um, I went to the range and my mom said that I just kept wanting to go back. And, uh, in December of 2014, I played my first ever 18 holes. Um, so yeah, I was, I, Gab, I was mentioning that to Roscoe before because every year your good family friend Kerry posts <laughs> that posts that video again uh, of you playing at Rolling Hills with him uh, and your mum for the first time, and some of his commentary is fascinating. And it became fascinating last year, obviously, when you won the US Amateur, but. It, he mentions about, you know, here's Gabby Ruffles, you know, number one in the world. And, like, the swing that you had then was just off the charts good. Like, it was just ridiculously how naturally gifted you were at swinging a golf club back then. Um, and I love every year without fail on that day, Kerry reposts it again, and it's just awesome to watch. Yeah, I feel like every time I have a pretty good result, I see that uh, come up on my Facebook, which is pretty yeah. funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of crazy to look back and think that, you know, that was what, five, six years ago only. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, not even not even six years ago. It's crazy. But um, I want to ask one thing about that moment in October where you lost that match and you, you, you made the decision to sort of step away like. For, for me, I ran a tennis academy for 10 years before I started this business years and years ago. So I saw him looking at it from a, you've got mum and dad who are, you know, some of the best tennis players on the planet. Uh, dad being, you know, 
probably our, one of our greatest, if not our greatest Davis Cup sort of coaches, uh, you were number one in the country as a junior and you had the courage to just get up, step away from a game that you had been working towards for so long. I mean, for me, it says two things, how courageous you are, but also what type of parents you have mm-hmm. that, you know, created that environment for you to be okay with stepping away and walking away from that game. Talk to us about that whole process and the conversation you had with mum and dad and, and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so kind of going back to, I guess, like that May 2014 event, like that whole year, I had kind of been thinking about it. Um, I had a couple, like, not great results, and um, I wasn't doing great, I guess, like, emotionally, mentally, everything um, besides tennis. So I had been thinking about, you know, quitting maybe that that whole year, and it was definitely in my thoughts, and I told my parents and everything. But, I mean, every time I mentioned it, there was nothing from them saying, no, you have to play um, you know, you've already come so far along in this sport and you have to play it. Um, I've been so lucky to have parents that have let, um, you know, me do what, what I want. And they've always wanted me to do me and my brother to do what makes us happy. And they, they saw that I wasn't really enjoying my tennis and, um, yeah, I wasn't really enjoying my life outside of tennis too. So, um, you know, there was no, absolutely no pressure from them to have me keep going. And, um, yeah, I'm super, super lucky for that. And, you know, now I've been able to find my way in golf and I'm such a much happier person, um, on and off the golf course. So I definitely can, um, contribute that to them and, and letting me kind of make my own choices, which is awesome. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Like it's just, mm. obviously I've had the pleasure of getting to know mom and dad, you know, really, six years or so or five years especially it's um yeah they're certainly uh very special people but very special sporting parents um so talk to us about um the impact that year and what you were experiencing and the pressures and stress or whatever it was that you're experiencing in tennis how that framed the way you approached golf and continue to approach golf, which I'm quite amazed about the way that you approach your career now. It's almost a similar way that you might've approached it when you first started. Talk to us about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I get asked this a lot, like if I would take away my tennis years Um, and start playing golf at a younger age, but I'd say no. I feel like I learned so much from playing tennis and, you know, kind of having that, like, athlete mentality of um, dealing with pressure, closing out matches, Um, and I feel like, you know, tennis, golf, whatever, whatever sport it is, they can all, like, relate to each other um, on a mental aspect. Um, So, you know, I mean, from, from the word go, I've never really put that much pressure on myself. Um, you know, it's always kind of been golf has always been a really fun thing for me to do. And even in the pressures of a tournament, you know, USM or, or defending or even playing in a major, it's always been having as much fun as I can. And I feel like that has come from, I've kind of had to learn that from my tennis because in tennis, I did put a lot of pressure on myself and I put a lot of pressure to achieve results and all that was extremely negative. And, uh, 
you know, so, I mean, I feel like I've learned from that. And now, you know, whenever I step out onto the golf course, I'm just really enjoying myself. And it, it's, you know, I'm not just saying this, I truly am. And uh, I feel like it's really helped me for sure. Gabby, yeah, you can, I, you can yeah. say, you can see that enjoyment. You know, you don't have to look at too many photos of you playing golf, you know, mm -hmm. the smiling on the course, uh, your interaction with uh, the people around you uh, that tells everyone how much you're enjoying it. Back to, back to the pressure part, but I, I listened to something else where you talked about when you qualified for that USAM, uh, not this year, but last year. So the one that you won mm -hmm. and you made it, it made it through in that playoff and you, you'd put, uh, you know, you talked about putting a lot of pressure on yourself to really you know, make that milestone and get into that USAM. What was the playoff like? Did you feel pressure then? Was there nerves? Was there excitement? You know, there was, I think there was four of you in that playoff. Is that right? Yeah. There, there was four, um, kind of trying to jog my memory. Gab, back. Gab probably can't remember back then, <laughs> Roscoe. <laughs> probably. No, I can. It was a very significant moment. So, um, I can remember, but yeah, there were four people and it was three got in. I'm pretty sure three out of the four. Um, but yeah, obviously there was a lot of pressure. I really wanted to try and make my first USAM. Um, and yeah, so I think I hit it in the bunker, um, on a shot where I, it was just like a pitching wedge and I hit it in the bunker and then, um, uh, managed to hit it out to like a foot and then made par. And, um, it was such, you know, it was such a cool feeling, um, being able to, that was actually probably one of the most nerve wracking moments, um, ever. <laughs> and, um, just to be able to, you know, kind of overcome that and get into the USAM, um, was awesome. And then, you know, being able to win it, like I would have never thought, you know, getting through that playoff and then being able to win it, like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to even think that, um, yeah, yeah crazy to go back and think about that story for sure. <laughs> and, and what about life as a, on the, as a college golfer and the, and the college team environment, you know, how, how competitive, how friendly, you know, how much, do you learn from being around a team that's a pretty high performing team? What's, what's that environment like? Yeah, I think it's been one of the best things I've ever done, um, especially being a new golfer. So I'd only been playing for like, I think three years before I came to college. So, um, I mean, in Australia, I feel like I was playing the same tournaments against the same people. And, uh, I feel like it really opened my eyes coming over to college over here and being able to play, week in, week in, week out with, um, like an Andrea Lee or an Albane Valenzuela, you know, like the top five amateurs in the world. And I was really able to see on a world level, how these girls were playing, um, which really motivated me because, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to just be like 600 in the world, which what I was at the time, I wanted to try and, um, be the same as those girls and compete against them. But not even that, I think even within my team, uh, my team was ranked, I think, like number three when I came in or something. So even to qualify to be able to play into these tournaments, um, I would have to, you know, qualify week in, week out on my team. So we had, I think, like six girls ranked inside the top, maybe 150 in the world. Um, and it's a starting five. So only five get to go. So week in, week out, we're, you know, competing against each other to try and qualify to play a tournament. And I think that's probably the best, especially for me as a person who likes competing. I think that's the best preparation and has really made me try and work hard and step up my game. And I feel like it's definitely led to like my fast improvement too. Yeah. 
I was going to I was going to ask, uh, and maybe the current times is probably not a great time for people to be thinking about you know sending their kids to college in the states. But you know the reality is it's going to happen again. Is it something you'd recommend parents of young up and coming golfers here in Australia look to send their kids to a college you know type um, golf environment? For sure. And I think it kind of goes back to the point that I made before, like in Australia, you're playing the same tournaments against the same people. And sometimes, um, you know, if you're winning those tournaments, you know, you might feel like uh, you're ready or, or you've, you've done it and, and you can go into the pros, but then you come over here and you realize, Hey, like there's so many great players yeah. and you really see the caliber um, of the best players in the world. And, you know, being able to expose yourself to that uh, week in, week out, um, you know, even just qualifying for the team and playing an actual tournament, um, it's re- it was really eye-opening for me and, and most of all really motivating. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for sure. I, I, it's been hands down one of the best experiences of my life. Just and um, finally for me on the college part, where, where do you get to play? When, you, when you're playing out in, against the other colleges, where do you go? Um, there's a whole, we play a bunch of different tournaments. Um, we play on the East coast, we play on the West coast. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's probably like maybe 15 teams at a tournament, 16 teams at a tournament and they come from all over, um, the U S. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you get to see players from Florida to Chicago to, and there's a lot of international players too, that are coming over. So it's really the best of the best that play college golf now, which is, is really awesome. And it's definitely elevated my game. Jamie, I might let you ask uh, Gab some questions about you know, some of the golf experiences and all of the uh, area related to the work that you do together that you can talk about. Yeah, I, definitely Roscoe. I think that's, um, you know, for me, the, the college journey for Gab has been just a wonderful one. Obviously being a USC first and foremost, where, um, Anna Maria, her mother, has just been inducted into the into the Hall of Fame, yeah, um, right. which is a re- phenomenal achievement. You know, Anna Maria was – did she win back-to-back national championships, Gab? Yeah, and then her her last year she won it as an individual. So just a, a superstar collegiate tennis player at USC. For Gab to go to USC and keep that in the family, I think Gab was just so excited about that opportunity. But – having that opportunity to, to be in a team full of such amazing golfers, like Gab wasn't, when Gab went to college, it was like, I'm not sure Gab was ready to compete at that level against those girls, but it very quickly got her to that level to compete because she had to, otherwise she was going to just be on the bench the whole time. And I, I vividly remember chats that Gab and I had and it was all about qualifying. Qualifying was like, I'm going into a tournament with a two-shot lead and I've got this pressure and stress. And I, that was just to qualify to get into the team. It was a phenomenal, like, environment for her. And, and I have no doubt that really was a big part in, in getting Gab to be the golfer that she is today. Um, so, but I think going back to courage a little bit, Gab, about... Um, you know, the, the courage to walk away from tennis and step into golf, um, the courage to continually stick to your guns 
and just be the golfer that, that you are. I know uh, every year, you know, early on our first session, you know, in a new year, I'd always say to you, okay, Gab, you know, have you thought about goals this year? And you're like, I don't want to get goals, Jamie. I hate goals. I don't want to have goals. I don't want to stress. I just want to get better. Um, and each and every year we would have that discussion. And even at the start of this year, after you winning the US Amateur last year, same conversation. Hey, Gabs, you know, thought about goals now that you've won the biggest amateur event on the planet. No, Jamie, I don't want any goals. I just want to get better and get better and get better. Like, talk to me about that, what that does for your psyche, just not having any goals, not having the expectations, which is completely abnormal for someone at your level, but just falling in love with the journey of getting better. What does that do to your psyche? Yeah, I think a big part of that is that I haven't been playing golf for that long. So I feel like I'm always like adjusting my goals. Um, so, you know, I would have never thought that in five years, uh, you know, of playing golf that I'd be able to win the USAM. So like going back and, and, and thinking like putting that as a goal, like I feel like my goals just changed so fast. Um, it's just my whole golf journey has been so fast paced. Um, yeah. But, you know, even in tennis, it kind of like goes back to a quote, I guess, that my dad always used to tell me is like, if you do the things that get you better day in, day out, then everything else will come. And I really, really enjoyed that. And that's really stuck with me. Um, so like, I've always been a, a huge believer in, you know, kind of focusing on the things that I can control. And that's been a huge thing that I've worked on with Jamie. Um, and it really just relaxes me in competition is because the only things that I can control, um, are how, how hard I work, um, in leading up to the tournament and during the tournament and, uh, you know, my attitude out there. And I feel like if I do those two things, which is all I can control, then I'm putting my best effort out there and then nothing else. I, I can't control what I shoot. If I shoot 85 or if I shoot 65, I feel like I will have the same kind of attitude, demeanor, um, everything. And that's all I can ask for. So those are basically my goals is kind of controlling what I can control and, and doing the best job at that. And that's always been my goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you said, like, I don't have many like result based goals. Um, it's just kind of been ticking off the boxes of, of what I can do myself and working as hard as I can. Um, and then, yeah, and then everything else will come and it's worked out okay so far. So I think I'll keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, looking back and especially this year's US Amateur, um, just was phenomenal to watch the way that you would react or respond to things that were happening out there in the golf course or like just non-reacting and not responding. It was like you were just so nothing was affecting you, you know, and that was was really good to see because of the journey that we've been on the last few years and how, you know, the Roscoe, you talk about, you know, how much fun Gab has on the course and she's always smiling. I remember like Gab showing me pictures of tournaments when she was back in Australia where she would hit a shot and, the, the, you know, the photographer would take a photo and she's frowning or almost crying. I'm like, are you crying there, Gab? And she's like, no, I'm just so disgusted with the shot or something like that. Like it was just so funny where now it's completely the opposite. You know, she's just so stoic in her reaction to things and the way that she approaches the game. And 
but that's a byproduct of her absolute focus and commitment to the things she's got control over. And it takes me back to a session, Gab, when we um, we had at Royal Melbourne. It was 2017. So it was a couple of weeks, maybe a week and a half possibly or a week before the Riversdale Cup, which is one of the biggest amateur events in Australia. And, and I think for you back then, that might have been one of the bigger amateur events that you played in. Mm-hmm. And... Gab comes to a session with Anna Maria and she's talking about, oh, I'm just getting so technical and I'm, you know, I'm just sort of, you know, my left brain's firing and, and I'm thinking too much. And so we just did a session where we took away all these practice swings, Roscoe, and we just got her to try and stand behind the ball and imagine a ball flight and then just when you can see it, just step in and, and, and react and just create the shot, not with any technical, can, you know, attachments, just with your natural athleticism and then... A few minutes into the session, she's sort of hitting the ball really well and about 20 minutes in, she's just continuing to do it and um, Anna Maria sort of there, she's, and Anna Maria's like, do you think that she should have some practice wins? I'm like, oh, for sure. We're just trying to just get Gab to just tap into that right brain a little bit more and I remember leaving that session, Gab, and saying to you, okay, in preparation for Riversdale Cup, if you can just go through some of those five ball blocks where you're just letting go of practice swings and and just imagining the ball. And then by the time Riverside Cup comes, you can blend your practice swings in, you know, with that connection to the ball flight. Um, so just fill us in with what happened over the next seven days in preparation for Riversdale Cup and then in the Riversdale Cup. Yeah, so I guess in seven days or whatever it was, I didn't have one practice swing. <laughs> um, and in the Riversdale Cup, I didn't have one practice swing either. Um, and I feel like that was kind of a turning point um, I guess in my, in my golf career and the way I thought about it is because when I first started playing, I think I was pretty technical when I first came to you, Jamie, I think I was thinking a lot and, you know, that left brain, I guess, as you said, was, um, working a lot too. And then I feel like I kind of released all that and kind of let my natural, I guess, athletic ability take over and, you know, see the shot and, and just hit it. And I feel like that's been kind of a theme that I've stuck with, um, for, I mean, ever since. And I feel like right now, um, I am probably the most untechnical person you'll ever meet in your life. And I just can't, like, whenever someone tells me anything, uh, technical, I just, I don't, it just doesn't kind of go through. And I don't really like being that technical. And especially when I'm out in competition, I just, you know, I just kind of, it's more reactionary, I feel like for me. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a turning point. And I think even one of our first sessions, Jamie, at, at Settler's Run, is it? Yeah. 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 Um, and we were doing like chipping and I was focusing so much on like what I was doing myself. And then you just said, hey, look out there, look at the hole and, and see where you want to um, land it. See how you're going to make this shot. And, you know, once I let go of all of the, you know, technical thoughts I had, it was amazing how good it was and, and what switched there. So um, I think that was definitely a really big turning point. Yeah, I mean, for me, Roscoe, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget that session in regards to the um, the practice wins because it showed me how courageous Gab was taking a completely new process, a completely new way of doing things with little – I suppose, little history of it working. I mean, we I knew straight away on the range that day, the shots that she was hitting was, I was picking shots and shapes and she was just doing whatever I asked of her, whatever she saw she was able to create. And I'm like, if we can get Gab to just 
access that part in a tournament environment, then God knows what type of shots she'll be able to play out there. But I didn't know that she had the courage to go to the biggest probably amateur event she might have played at that time and actually go and apply it. And, Gab, I mean, I was looking up the results yesterday, actually. Now, you came third in that event. Um, you led from start, round one, round two, third round. You you led the whole way and shot an even par round in the final round. Um, even par actually might have been one under, but you end up losing to to Karis Davidson, I think, by by a couple of shots. But just the courage of being able to just apply that process to me was quite astounding because there was no fear of outcome, no fear of what would happen if you were just completely committed to, to that process and you felt that process was helping you to um, to play better golf. And I think that's a big sort of separator for me between how you do things and, and how a lot of other people may approach that type of a situation. So um, even today you'd say that, you know, from a technical point of view, um, you know, you're not that attached to mechanics. Yeah. Yep. No. Oh, sorry, don't interrupt. You go on. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, in in doing that, and I, and I'm I didn't know that story, and I'm blown away by it because I tinker. I'm I'm an everyday club golfer, and the amount of commitment that it takes to not only put just walk up, step, hit the golf ball without having a practice swing in practice, let alone in a one of the biggest tournaments in amateur tournaments in Australia. How do how do you do that? You know, how do you get to the point where you know one shot doesn't work and you don't start questioning yourself? I I go out and try and play putt cross handed, you know, because I need to make a change and I think I'm going to play 18 holes cross handed and I get to the third hole and I go, oh, it's not working. I'll go back to it. But you know, you've you've put it in place in a tournament. How does you never have that sort of no? This is not working. I'm going to go back to having a practice swing. It's just how do you do that? I mean, I, obviously, I saw the results when I when I first did it. Um, on the range with Jamie and, and I really liked the feeling of, you know, not being so focused on myself and, you know, my swing, but rather focused on, you know, the shot and kind of out there, which is what Jamie used to say, like focus on out there. Um, and I really liked that. And I kind of, I just believed, like, I just believed that it would, it would work. And, um, you know, I, I saw the results and honestly, I don't really think too much. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, kind of looking back, I'm trying to like kind of refresh myself of that week, what I was thinking. And yeah, I mean, obviously it worked and it was one of my best results in Australia. Um, and uh, as I said, it's kind of paved the way for how I think about golf and um, think about, you know, I guess my swing. Um, something. I think too, Roscoe, it's, it's very easy to Gab because Gab doesn't have any attachments to the outcome, the results, the the expectation of where is she going to finish in the tournament. It's all about what can I control and I'm just going to do a great job of that. So Gab felt like that process was something that she can control um, and that something was going to help improvement, uh, sorry, help performance. So she was just going to commit to that and she's going to go down in flames committing to that if, if that's what it takes. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 Gab's attitude. I'll, I'll again another conversation. I remember sitting in in um, in the US a couple of years ago. It's actually last year, just a couple of weeks before North South that you won, Gab. 
I remember sitting in, I was having dinner with Russ. It was earlier in the year and we had a chat on the phone. You were just struggling a little bit with something and that's when we had that discussion around, you know, having a good fun attitude and just if you can have a good attitude out on the course, then everything else is going to take care of itself because you're going to create this really healthy environment for you to view the round of golf, view the golf shots and, um, you know, you just go and commit to it. You just you just go all in, um, commit to it completely, and you know you don't have those outcome expectations that are going to interrupt your ability to to connect to that. And that's a, one. It's a massive advantage for you, but two, you've got to have courage in your DNA to be able to actually go and commit to that. And and I think that's one of your you know one of your greatest assets is just that courage and commitment to to what you believe in. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like, you know, it hasn't come naturally. I mean, I feel like I've had to work on all these mental things a lot. And I do think, you know, the mental game is, for me, by far one of the biggest things for for golf. Um, I take it so seriously. And I put a lot a lot of importance on it. And I think, you know, starting from the start, like, Jamie like I've had to work on these so much it has not come it may look like it's come naturally to me but it hasn't and um you know I mean meant like the mental aspect is my only goals that I have when I go out there really is that if I can you know um have the best attitude out there then whatever happens happens but that's you know um pretty much the only thing I really think about and uh you know it's led me to have fun and enjoy it and uh yeah, now we're here. <laughs> it's good. It's, I mean, my only my only sort of task now, Roscoe, is um, trying to get Gab to remember some stuff because I remember a session we had at Victoria Golf Club one day. We was, I think it might have been one of our first on-course sessions and we're like, this would be great. We'll get out there and we'll do some work and, you know, we'll get to the first hole and Gab's got a birdie putt and she goes over to a bag and she's standing by a bag for I don't know, a good 30 seconds. And I'm like, you know, Gab, what's wrong? She says, don't have a putter. What do you mean you don't have a putter? Like we've organized this on-call session and you don't have a putter. And another session we had one day, she rocks up and she doesn't have any golf gloves and it's, you know, sweating. Her grips obviously aren't in that great a condition back then because she didn't clean her clubs either. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, was, uh, it was quite an interesting couple of sessions, those ones. So, um, How's your memory been going these days, Gab? You've been remembering things pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's been going great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. you're, you're allowed to have a go back at him. You're allowed to let, let Leash back the other way too. Don't don't hold back. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I will take full responsibility for those first couple of sessions because I think that was the first, I think, three sessions that I ever had with Jamie. I think <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot a putter. I forgot my gloves. And then... I don't know, something else. Um, but yeah, anyway, I feel like anyone that knows me um, knows that I'm I'm pretty kind of clumsy, airy, I don't know. But I guess like when it gets to like the golf course and the tournament, like I try and zone in. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Gabby, well, yeah. In, in, in talking about tournament and zoning in, you know, your win in the USAM created some fairly sizable opportunities for you to play alongside the pros. You've played, you know, you qualified for I think four of the. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Four of the five major tournaments. Um, you're playing in some LPGA events. What's that been like? You know, hanging out, 
spending time on the range with all of these guys who probably only just not that long ago you, you were looking up to. Yeah, that's actually been kind of something um, I've been talking about with Jamie too, is that it's kind of happened so quick that I've um, just trying to feel like I belong um, in that in that kind of group. Um, so yeah, after winning USAM, I got all these opportunities to play in the pros. And then, um, you know, last US Open was my first major. And that was the first time where I was, you know, competing against some of the girls that I've watched on TV for the past, you know, four or five years. And I think I, you know, kind of let it get the better of me. And I was pretty intimidated by that. Um, but I guess it's just, we've been trying to work on feeling like I belong and feeling like I can compete against them. And, um, I feel like, you know, last, uh, two weeks ago at the ANA was a big kind of stepping stone in that, um, coming 15th and, you know, being top 10 for, um, a lot of the week, uh, really showed me that, you know, I can compete with, uh, the best in the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Looking back, it's just, it's crazy. I feel like each year it's just kind of been another level up. Um, yeah, hopefully it keeps going that way too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. It, one of those opportunities took you across to another part of the world and it's a part of the world that I'm very familiar with. And that was to Scotland uh, where you played in the British women's open at Royal Troon. I've been to Royal Troon. I've I've been at Mission Hills where, you know, you finished 15th in the A&A and I've played that course. I haven't played Royal Troon, but I've been there. I was there in the 2016 Open watching that. One unbelievable place. What Was it your first time in Scotland? It was, yeah. It was my first time in Scotland and first time playing golf in Europe. First time playing Lynx golf. And what was that Uh, like? It was a pretty good introduction, I guess. Um, So we had... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of practice and the winds were like zero to like five miles per hour maybe. And then <laughs> get on the tee on uh, Thursday morning and it's blowing 35 miles per hour and uh, Lynx golf. And, you know, I had Luke Mackey on the bag. who's the golf Australia um, high performance trainer. And on the first hole, I think it was like maybe like 115 meters or something. And he tells me, you know, the wind's really strong right here. You have to pull out maybe like a six or five iron. And I usually hit my six, maybe like 150 meters, my five iron, maybe like 160. And I'm like, what? Like I've never hit it. I've never had to hit a shot like that before. Having to take three clubs up. I looked at him. I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) And so I think I took like a seven iron. It came up like maybe like, 30 meters short, 40 meters short. And then he looks at me and he's like, I told you. <laughs> but, um, you know, just kind of like learning Lynx golf and learning how to play. It's so different to what I'm used to in the U.S. Um, little wind, you know, thick rough um, in the U.S. and getting over there and it's completely different. And the shots that I had to hit were completely different. But it was such a cool experience. Um, ended up missing the cut by one. I had a pretty bad first day as you can probably tell by the first hole (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah I mean it was just you know another learning experience um and hopefully I can get back to the British be awesome I mean Roscoe this is the great thing about Gab's journey is it almost for me like every three six months it's felt like Gab's been thrust into a whole completely new environment um you know, one thing winning the North-South Amateur, but but 
to qualify for the US amateur for the first time and then go and win that, like that's all like holy hell, what, what what's going on? You know, you've you've got it for most people, we have to prepare ourselves to feel comfortable in those situations. And I think the last few years for Gab, it's been so good because there has been so many times that she's been thrust into an uncomfortable situation where she doesn't have any history with, but she's just been able to really keep that attention on what the, what she's got control over and give herself the best opportunity to perform. Um, and, and, and now it's like, I, I don't know what else can be thrown at Gab that she's going to be uncomfortable with because it's all been thrown at her. Like, that first round of the British Open, that would have been like, as you say, Gab, like, holy hell, what, what do I do here? And I remember back to a session you, Gab, Ruff, and I had in Vegas when you guys come over and spend a couple of days in Vegas with me. Um, and with, you guys were doing some short game stuff and um, I think Ruff asked you to play a shot and you just looked at him like a stunned mullet, like, yeah. oh, I don't know how to play that shot. Like, yeah. And he's looking at you like, hang on, Gab, like, it's a fairly relatively stock standard sort of short game shot for most people at that level. Um, but obviously he's like realizing, Oh, you've only been playing the game four years. Like, of course you probably don't know how to play that shot. So that was really cool to see, but how you just invited that situation in and invited that learning, you know, sort of situation from Raf and you just adapted to it so beautifully. Yeah, I mean, I've always placed an emphasis, I think, on learning and each experience that I've had, you know, in my short golf career, um, whether it be, you know, British Open or USAM or each tournament that I play, I feel like I learn, I take a couple things that I learn and uh, go from there. Um, But yeah, I I definitely try and learn as best as I can from each situation. (laughs) What about, you know, your brother? What what do you learn from him? I get the sense that it's fairly competitive. We've had Ryan on the podcast before, as you know. Um, what do you What do you take from watching his journey and seeing him, and then also in that competitive environment? What's that like? Yeah, it's been awesome to have a brother that um, plays professionally. And and when I first started, um, he actually moved over to the U.S. and started his pro career. So when I first started playing golf he was kind of away for most of it. Mm. Um, so it's been kind of, kind of weird on that point. We haven't been able to spend that much time together, but as I've moved to the States and I, I've, I've been here for college, we've been able to see each other a little bit more, but, um, he actually wasn't really around that much for like the first couple of years when I started to get going. Cause he was, you know, over here trying to, um, make his way, um, in his professional career. Um, but you know, I, I, I lean on him a lot. I, I ask him, you know, questions. Um, I mean, when we do see each other in person, it's, it's very competitive. Um, we, we have a pretty good relationship, um, love, hate relationship, I guess, (laughs) siblings. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been awesome. And I feel like he has such a good, you know, mind for golf and, and he knows a lot about the game. And, uh, you know, whenever I have a question or anything, I like to ask him and kind of like to pick his brain a little bit about how he plays a certain shot or how he goes about this or his practice or anything like that. And I think that he works super hard too. And um, that's definitely something that I've tried to emulate from him for sure. Roscoe, I'll give you, I'll give you a little insight into the competitiveness. We were, uh, Gab and I were 
uh, on a call earlier this morning before the podcast and yeah. talking about some competitive drills for her to sort of implement uh, from a training perspective over the next few weeks. And, you know, short game drill that, that I spoke about and um, we gave, you know, gave Gab her sort of framework around, you know, a, a goal to try and achieve. Um, and then I spoke to her about what someone like a Ruff or a Herbie, you know, what their goal might be. And then straight away, she just like moved the bar to, to that goal. She's like, I've got to beat him. I've got to beat him. Um, and the second I sort of spoke, I'm like, you know, we'll get Ruff on board and we'll, we'll have a bit of a competition between the both of you. And um, like, she just lit up like the chance to compete against her brother. Um, you know, she just, she loves it. And obviously they've got a great relationship where they rib one another and, you know, Russ pretty good at ribbing, ribbing Gab, and Russ pretty good at ribbing me and anyone else that he he knows. Obviously, as we found out on the podcast, but um, it's just such a it's just such a great environment for for Gab to be introduced to the game of golf, and and again to have parents like Anna Maria and Ray and the way that they've supported her and encouraged her and coached her along the way because they're they're. They're such incredible sporting minds. Um, the way that they've been able to pass on that knowledge um, is fantastic. So it's um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun to watch. Gabby, I'll, I will ask you another question about uh, something in a second. But uh, Jamie, I think that probably you know Anna Maria and Ray could come on the podcast some stage and give a masterclass on how how to you know, work with young up-and-coming golfers and, and just some of the, their stories. I think that would be super valuable. But, Gabby, you know, if you had the opportunity to talk to a, a room of up-and-coming young boy and girl golfers in Australia or in the States or whatever part, just young up-and-comers, what would be some of the, you know, the things that you would tell them? What would the, be, you know, the, the, the advice that you would leave them with, some of the key points? Yeah. Um, I have gotten this question a lot. I, I'd say that... For me, it's just always been, I keep going back to it, but it's just always been about enjoying the game. And for me, every opportunity that I get is just, um, has always been super fun and super enjoyable. And that's been, you know, a combination of, of my parents making it that way for me, which I've been super lucky about. Um, but also, you know, I guess learning from my tennis and I didn't do that with my tennis and I put a lot of pressure on myself with results and, you know, kind of beat myself down when I didn't get the results that I wanted and uh, was very, very intense from a young age. And that's kind of what let me, uh, what kind of got me to be burnt out from the sport. So I'd say, you know, just keep having fun, keep making it um, kind of, you know, just keep making it fun and, and don't um, make it kind of like a job, I guess. Like it's, it's something that you go out and you have fun with. And I've always, always, always had that. Um, so I think that's probably my biggest thing, but even going, um, kind of alleviating some stress, some competitive stress for, for kids is kind of going back to, you know, focusing on the things that you can control, which is what I, I keep going back to. And I, and I have for the past couple of years, um, and it's definitely led me to enjoy the game a lot more. And, um, you know, I feel like my best results have come when I've been able to, you know, have a great attitude, create great demeanor out there. And the times when I do kind of let it go and let myself down are the times when I'm most disappointed in myself and, and get the most down. So I feel like there's, 
the mind and, you know, the way you kind of present yourself out there and your attitude is so important. And I think that, um, you know, younger people should, you know, place more of an importance on that. I think, um, even more so than even like the technical part of it. I know the technical part of it is, is, is very big, but I've, from a young age, I've always placed a big importance on the mental aspect and, uh, just having fun. So that's probably what I'd say. And now as you looking towards your future career and, and hanging out with the LPGA players, is there someone that you look up to? Or is there someone that you're, you know, you've connected with that, you know, you just found some, something in common with that amongst the girls that you've got to, you know, meet and play with? Yeah, I feel like I have uh, two people. I'd say as more of like a mentor type person, um, Kari Webb has been awesome to me. Um, you know, she's sent me, you know, texts after, um, each round that I play at the USAM and, and the second USAM, um, and she's, she's just kind of followed my career and I've been able, I was lucky enough to win her scholarship this year too. So, um, you know, I've been able to kind of, um, ask her a few questions, kind of lean on her as a mentor and what a great mentor to have. Um, it's Kari Webb. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. But I think um, someone that's kind of in their prime now or getting towards it is Nellie Corda. I actually had the opportunity to play with her in a practice round uh, a couple weeks ago at the ANA, and um, I think she's maybe 22, and uh, I think she's number two in the world at the moment. And I just really like the way she kind of goes about uh, her game, and uh, she's a super nice person. Um, Obviously, her parents are tennis players, too, so we had a little bit in common there. Um, But, yeah, I feel like she's someone that's really kind of, um, you know, a young star, and uh, I'd love to be able to, you know, get to a stage where I'm really competing against her. And, um, yeah, so at the moment, I'd say she's my idol for sure. Yeah, it's wonderful. Great. Th- thanks for that response. And Kari, what a wonderful ambassador she has been for Australian golf and, and continues to be for the work that she does with you know, young up-and-coming golfers and wonderful, wonderful credit to her. And mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you get the benefit of being able to tap into that. It's great. Jamie, mm-hmm. have you got any uh, other questions there for Gabby? Gab, just thanks for joining us. I know we've, we've tried to get you on the podcast for a, for a little while and uh, your schedule um, has been pretty crazy. So it's good to be able to get a few weeks where – you know, you're at home, uh, can get some training in, um, get you on the podcast and just, yeah, appreciate um, appreciate you dropping by and uh, looking forward to, um, obviously, we're all probably looking forward to life getting back to normal next year in, in as much capacity as possible and your schedule can uh, can continue to uh, to get busy. Um, obviously, you've got US Open um, in December, which is your, your next major and uh, looking forward to, um, yeah, uh, seeing you out there in that, uh, in that environment. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you guys for having me on. It was fun. Gabby, thanks very much. Everyone, don't forget to tune into the podcast. Jump over and see us on the Facebook group, uh, the Insight Golf Academy. There's a whole lot of stuff that you can connect with Jamie now. Thanks for joining us, Gabby. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you all next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. 
Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.